Take your Bible, please, and turn to the pastoral epistle of Titus, Titus chapter 3, as we continue in this study of the uh, second of the three pastoral epistles, Paul's words to Titus, and uh, we enter into a new chapter. We've completed chapter 2, and so we are in chapter 3, the first two verses. We'll read these and... um, then begin our time of study. Right after Paul tells Titus to declare these things in chapter 2, verse 15, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you, he jumps right into an area that you might not think that he would, but he does. Knowing that this is the inspired Word of God, it's not only for them, also for us. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Father, I thank you for being able to come together today. I thank you for those who have come out and are gathered here as your people uh, called Heritage Baptist Church. And Lord, we have gratefully been praying and we've been reading your word. We've been singing your word. And now we take a look at your word and we'll seek to lay out the meaning of what you have for us. Thank you, as Phil said earlier, for those who are watching via live stream and some even in other parts of this building. And so, Father, I pray that their experience, even as they listen and take in, that they would be able to draw close to you, knowing that they're separated by physical distance. I I pray that, that our spirits would be bound together. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your word, your precious word. And I pray that we would learn everything that we need to learn from it today and apply it, Lord, so that we could grow progressively in the sanctification you have for us, the holiness that you have for us every day. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Pope did it. Again, he has said some really unbiblical and bizarre things in the last little while, in fact, for a long time. Several things that have gotten our attention, unbiblical things about the so-called LGBTQIA plus movement. But yesterday, now I wasn't sure whether to take this as an out or take it the way that I took it, that it's another, it's another picture of people when they throw aside sound doctrine. This comes out of Rome. I've got the article in front of me. January 13th, that was yesterday, Pope Francis on Saturday told priests 
to keep their homilies. Now, that is a Catholic way of saying sermons, okay? So get a picture here. He told priests to keep their sermons down to eight minutes. I didn't hear any hallelujahs from that. Yeah. Okay. So as to more effectively communicate with their flocks. And the latest of a string of similar pronouncements. <laughs> then he said he reportedly told the priests that their sermons, quote, must go straight to the heart. I can't even get through my introduction in eight minutes. Cover issues in daily lives in eight minutes and steer clear of over-sophisticated subjects. And I have no idea what he meant by that. And that's what he said. Folks, we have said it, and I'll say it again. Paul says it in the pastoral epistles. He says it to young Timothy. He says it to Titus. That sound doctrine, healthy teaching is another way to say that, sound doctrine is what we must have, and sound doctrine, if it's taken in, if it's lived out, if it's understood and acted upon, will always be accompanied by godly living. That goes straight to the heart. Only sound doctrine will cover issues in daily life. Only sound doctrine will steer clear of over-sophisticated subjects. And so we come today to chapter 3 in the book of Titus. I've entitled this, uh, and it's not just a catchy little way of saying it. This is really the gist of the message today. How on earth are we to live, Christian? Taking all of the sound doctrine that we hear, by the way, again, I say those words, sound meaning healthy, doctrine meaning teaching. So how do we take the healthy teaching from the Word of God and live it out on earth? How on earth are we to live? This has in, in a, a little bit of a contrast to chapter 2. Chapter 2 really tells us about the, the in here kind of living. It, it's within family relationships and then within the family of God. But now, not negating that because there's always application to that, now Paul moves for Titus to the out there component of being regenerate. I can't wait until next week if we get through with today and next week we're going to jump into what is the whole reason for this whole thing. It's the, the, it grows out of being a regenerate, a born-again believer that leads us from doctrine to duty to delight. And so today, basically what we're going to be talking about, and, and apparently it was something big in Paul's minds, is how are we to be good citizens and how are we to be good neighbors because we are God's people. And get this, not just good people, but godly people. And that's what he's always looking for. Not like what the rich young ruler came 
and, and said, okay, what do I have to do to be good? God's not looking for that. He's looking for people who have a personal relationship, who are regenerate, who are born again, and who are living out a godly lifestyle personally in their marriage, in their home, in their church, and in the world. Here's what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, and you've been called to do just this. So I have broken down, as I normally do, the verses we will be going through into three different parts, and let's walk through those and see what lessons we can learn uh, to apply to our own lives. First of all, remind them always. This is a, this is a command but it's a present tense because the apostle knew that we always need reminding. I do. Do you need reminding of certain things in your life? Do you always need reminding of certain things in your life? Come on. I am so glad I've got a wife who reminds me of certain things in my life that need to be done. There are times, and I'm sure it's by design, that 10 minutes later, if it's not done, she will remind me again. Why? Because I need reminding. And so Paul says, look, Titus, I I need you to do something for me. You've been talking about, and I've been telling you all about this sound doctrine. Now, I want you to do this, and I want you to do it today. Listen to it. This is what the, the command, the imperative means I want you to tell them, and then I want, to, I want you to tell them again, and then I want you to tell them some more. It's continual. Be reminding continually the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. Are there other people who perhaps are in your congregation who are not followers of Christ? Of course there are. They always creep in. Hopefully someday they will be born again, they will be regenerate, and they will be uh, need needful of being reminded as well. First Peter says it like this, therefore I intend, see it's not just with Paul, this is a biblical theme, we need it, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Just like Paul mentioned certain qualities, Peter had mentioned qualities too, though you know them. Sometimes I, I know we, we why do you need to remind me? Why do you need to remind the congregation? I'll tell you what, sometimes I feel as if I am preaching the same sermon over and over again. Nothing new under the sun. Be saved, be sanctified, look forward to glorification. And there are little nuances of, of how that breaks down, all the rest of that. But basically, you know the things that I'm going to be telling you today. But Paul and Peter believe that you need to be reminded about them so you can be established in the truth that you have. Number one, let's look at this now because, hey, we don't need to be reminded to obey earthly leaders, do we? Come on, can't we skip over that? You can read that and let's get to the meat later on about regeneration, there's meat here. And yes, our citizenship, 
ultimately is in heaven. But God planted us here on this earth, and we have a relationship, not just, again, let's look at this in concentric circles, our own personal walk with the Lord, our relationship, if you are married with your spouse, sometimes with your family, with your siblings, with your mom and dad, there is that relationship that needs to be worked out. But a lot of times we just stop there, or maybe we go on to the church, but rarely do we get outside the church and listen to the things that even though our citizenship is in heaven, we are citizens of this realm as well. Good. I'm stopping because I really want you to hear this statement. Good citizens of heaven are good citizens of earth. And do we have a challenge with that? You see, submission to God, it seems to me I preached this not long ago, but again, I'll remind you of what we talked about then. Submission to God requires us to be submissive to men. This assumes structures of authority. Just so you'll know, and and I, I would think some of the children might think otherwise about this, why did God put the fifth commandment in the table of the law? Why did he put that in there? just to, to, to make children the, the slaves of their parents, always obeying their parents because this is right, this is the first commandment with the promise and all of that. That commandment, the fifth commandment, is a basic statement on the design for authority that God built into creation. And what we're talking about here is built is founded on the truth coming out of the fifth commandment. It's not here by accident, and you're not here by accident living in the United States of America in this particular country. Yes, things are going on all around the world, world leaders, all the rest of that, situations that you have one thought about or the other, but you are a citizen of this place that God has placed you, and it's not by accident. And these words written almost 2,000 years ago to this young man to tell a, a, a group of people, do you know why they're here? Do you remember what Paul said to, to Titus a little bit earlier on? I want your people to do this. Listen, so they will adorn the doctrine of God. So that they won't just say, I'm, I'm, I've got my Bible here. And, and I carried it into the church this week, but you're adorning the teachings of God. You're adorning the doctrine of God when you hear and submit to these words. And so here it is. We just heard, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Let's hear what Paul says in at least one more place. And then again, we'll refer to the Apostle Peter as well. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is, get this, as hard as this is sometimes to stomach, there is no authority except from God. 
That's fifth commandment stuff. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It's not just a general principle. It is very specific for our time right now with all of the, 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 the political stumping going on, all the political speeches, all of the rhetoric, all of the, all, all of the things that are going on right now. This is specific and it is timeless. Let's see what Peter says about it. Be subject. This gives us the foundation. Why? Why? You can read it. For the Lord's sake. This is not something that a, a conservative preacher is telling you to do. It's for the Lord's sake that you need to be subject to every human institution. There it is again. Now let's get more specific into that. Whether it be to the emperor. Who was the emperor when Paul wrote these words? Probably Nero. What? To the emperor as supreme or to the governor sent by him. And the context in which he wrote this was a context of absolute paganism. You think our culture is tough? Transport yourself back, if we could, and had a big time machine, and go back and, and meet when these folks that Titus was trying to, to, to preach to and teach to, when they were under the Roman authorities. It was thoroughly pagan. Do you realize that this command... To, to, to the emperor was seen by their state religion, and that's what it was. The whole political thing was wrapped up in a religion that said that Caesar was God. And that's why they didn't have much use for Christians, because they refused to say Caesar is Lord, and they were killed because of it. It was corrupt. Do you believe that our current system of government is largely pagan and corrupt and it didn't start just with the Democrats. Are you hearing me? It is a people thing. And that's why born again, this is who I'm preaching to, born again Biblically literate. Now, young people and children, I, I know you're probably doing your drawings and things like this, but I want you to hear your pastor say that this is vitally important as you grow up, not just so you'll obey mommy and daddy, mom and dad if you're older, but so that you'll see that there is a structure in which you can survive and even thrive, even if it means your death in a culture that is, I believe, increasingly going to be against conservative Christianity. So let me say it again. I didn't complete my sentence. I cut myself off. Born again, spirit-filled, biblically literate believers want to submit. In fact, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago the very word submission. Divide those out. Sub. What, what's, what's sub mean? What's a submarine do? 
goes under the water. Okay, sub, under. The picture of the word submission means that your, your personal mission, your personal agenda is put under the agenda of your leaders. Now, to some, that's not so shocking. Some of you are maybe military, or we've got some military here, active duty. We've got, we, we've got former military, and, and so you, you realize that there, that is a picture that you understand. But when we pull away from that, and if you've never experienced that before, to say that your personal mission, your personal goals and agenda in life are put under the mission of another, that's wild. And so, this is what he is saying. And so, I'll say to you, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. And it will not self-destruct in 10 seconds. This is universal. It's timeless. And it's eternal. And only regeneration, being born again by the Holy Spirit, will produce this. And only grace, we learned last week, will train us to do this as well. Now, I just said that born again, biblically literate, uh, uh, submitted, spirit-filled Christians want to submit. Let me say something on the other side. Just see how it, it fits in your way of thinking. Submission really is a problem only for the ungenerate, unregenerate, or the immature and carnally minded. And here's why I say this. Everybody submits to something or someone. You remember that? I was telling our ABF class today, I read another article, I mentioned this last week about the church that was set up for non-religious people. And there was another article this week, and it, it was titled, A Church for Those Who Are Not Religious. And that stopped me, and I said, no, that's not, that's not true. They're not accurate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because everybody is religious according to the Word of God. Now, if we take the Word of God as true, which it is, then Romans 1.25 becomes a, a kind of, of, of central truth that when you're talking with people, you know that you're talking to a person who has a religion. They may say they're irreligious. They're not. They're either worshiping and serving the creature and their own made-up things about gods or God or whatever, or they're worshiping and serving the Creator who is blessed forever. So everybody has a basic religion. Ours is simply the one that says we worship you, God. We submit to you. And therefore, our goal on this earth, what on earth are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be doing from our hearts. We are supposed to be sanctified submitters on this earth. Let me stop here. 
Is that how others would describe you? Sanctified, meaning it's, it's, a, it's a grace kind of thing. And it doesn't mean you've arrived, you're perfect with it, but you're growing, but you're, ho- you're bent. The bent of your heart is to be a sanctified submitter. That word sanctified keeps you from being a groveler. You know, just, just doing, because that's what I got to do, or you're trying to curry favor or whatever. Sanctified means you're doing it as unto the Lord. So are you, are you a sanctified submitter? Are you obedient to the word and daily ready for every good work? That's the second phrase. To be obedient. That's not disconnected from the previous statement. To be obedient. To whom? saying, and I like the way he says it, he says don't, he doesn't say don't disobey, he says be obedient. That's a whole lifestyle issue. Be obedient, be ready for every good work. Sanctified submitters obey. It's an overall posture, it's a a lifestyle. Titus 1.16, I remind you, we, we talked about this, about a contrast with false teachers, false professors. They profess to know God, but watch this. They don't obey. They deny Him by their works. They're not submissive. They're not obedient. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for every good work. And so Paul spells out what this submission will look like. It's amazing. When, when you look at this, and you don't, wow, I, I, I never saw that before. But there are six things that identify what that obedience unto good works, you're ready for good works, there are six things that always identify you. The first one is this, we've already said it, be obedient. Now that's specifically toward government authorities. If submission is the inward attitude, obedience is the outward expression. You got that? Inward attitude, submission, outward expression is obedience. Now, people then were notoriously rebellious. But guess what? People now are notoriously rebellious. Rebellion comes naturally. Submission really doesn't. So another, see these articles and the titles just really give away their whole mindset, their whole religion. Culturally, culture is morally broken. Would you agree with that? It didn't. Culture has always been, since the garden, morally broken. And there there has been a spirit of rebellion in man since then. Is anyone old enough here today to remember a life of driving cars without seatbelts? Anybody? Oh, you old people. Do you know when the, the first federal law was mandated that you had to have, you had to wear seatbelts? 
1968. And even then, a lot of us ignored that. Now, I'm really going to date myself. 1968, that was when I was a senior in high school. Hutch, I mean, good grief. And, and so, do you know what the restraint system was for me growing up? Yep, you got it. Some of you had, you, you had moms and dads that did the same thing. You're sitting there. Here, here was the safety restraint system. Well, I, you, you, you felt it coming. The story of the little boy could have been me, but no, this is a general story. Sitting in the front seat, and he stood up to see what was going on outside, and his mom said, sit down. He slid down in his seat. A few minutes, guess what? You kids have done it before. He inched back up. He was looking around. His mom said, young man, I told you to sit down. So he sat down. Another time he got up, well, she called him by both of his names. You know you're, you're cruising for a bruising when you get called by both of your names, first and middle. So he sat down, crossed his arms. You could see a little puff of smoke coming out of his head. And he said, Mom, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's the way a lot of us are. God, I may be sitting down because that's what i got to do. But my attitude is that I'm standing up on the inside. It goes all the way back to the garden all the way back to Eve. By the way, it's been, it's been codified. You know how? Follow your heart. Yeah. Follow your heart is a phrase that we hear today, and that's why I say it, it's nothing new under the sun. In those days, there was no king in Israel. So what? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was 3,400 years ago, and it hasn't changed since. Mark 7, Jesus said this, hey, look, here's where it comes from. All of this stuff that's out there, here's where it comes from. What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man. And that's why Paul is telling Titus, to tell the people on the island of Crete who were notorious rebellers that if you do this, here's what's going to happen. You are going to shine like a bright light in the midst of a dark culture of rebellion. And they may not understand what you're doing, but that gives you an opportunity to say that I have a new master. And that's why I'm doing this toward these government authorities. And that's why I'm doing this in the home. And that's why I'm doing this in this group of people that we call the church. We're being obedient. Second thing, be ready for every good work. This is a posture. Are you ready? Are you? Oh, okay. Now, wait a minute. Is this just a sermon where I'm asking a, a question, or 
I, I really want you to answer this internally. You don't have to say yes or no. Outwardly, but would this describe you, that you're ready? You have a readiness for every good work. It's a posture. It's a bent. It's something that you're going to have to work on. Amen? You will have to work on it. But here's, here's the beautiful thing about it. God has already prepared the good works. Did you know that? So if you're ready to do good works, God has already prepared the good works that you are supposed to walk in. When did He prepare them? Yesterday? When you were born again? It says before the foundation of the world that He prepared them that we should walk in them. And that is one of the most powerful, beautiful statements that if you are ready, then God has a good work for you to do. Now, just so you'll know, it may not feel like a good work to you. So the other day, we're sitting there. I was watching something. I don't know what it was. Jan came in with a load of freshly dried clothes and put them down on the ottoman and said, here. Was I ready for that good work? I, you know, I'm in my 70s and I will. I don't think I'll ever like folding clothes. I just don't think I will. But I, 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 was, I was ready. Well, one thing, I didn't want to face her wrath. But the other thing, no, this, this is what, if, if you're in the Word and studying the Word, and I'd studied this this week, and so I, I really did have this little exchange inside of myself. I don't want to do that. But am I ready for every good work? Oh, Lord, you prepared for all of that pile of laundry to be right in front of me beforehand. And so here I am. Yeah, and hope you get it right. I don't fold all the clothes exactly correct, but, but she will show me how to do that. She basically lets me fold my stuff, so I fold it wrong, and she does her stuff. But I'll, anyway, a tiny, tiny little illustration. Now, what, what is a good work that maybe God has prepared beforehand that you might be able to do this afternoon? And you know what? It's probably going to get, hear me, in the way of your agenda. And that's why the word submission means that you put your personal mission under another's for the greater good. I hope that has the wheels turning for you. Now, folks, hey, I'm not talking about being a do-gooder, okay? You know what a do-gooder is, don't you? Have you ever been around a do-gooder? Somebody who does good things because he thinks it's going to help other people, although the other people don't usually see his actions as helpful? That's what a do-gooder is. No, we're not talking about that. 
We're talking about this. You're going to have to, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. You're going to have to do some self-denial. Get your mission under the mission of, of the one that you need to be submitting to, submitting to. And recognizing opportunities for you to do the good works that God has called you to do. So your light will shine. Now, I just used an illustration of the home. We're going to get into the out there just, just right away because that's what it's about. Let your light shine before others so they, the people out there, the people with whom you converse at work and in the world today, they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And now, with the next several things, he spells it out specifically. Are you ready? This will actually be the, the third thing of the six. But here it is, to speak evil of no one. How you doing? Remind them to speak evil of no one. Oh, by the way, that's a particular category. That's a camp, no one. Who is in the no one camp? Everyone. I, I, this is what it says. Speak evil of no one. We need this reminder. Go back to the reminder. Do you need this reminder over and over again? Yep. That word, speak evil, is the, the, the Greek word. It's transliter it transliterated blaspheme. It means to revile, to malign. I like that word malign. That's, a, ooh, that's evil sounding. To speak evil, to malign, to lie about, to blaspheme. Why do we find this so easy to do? Uh, let me rephrase that. You may not. Why do I find this so easy to do? To build myself up? To, to make myself feel better about myself? It is so easy to malign people rather than to obey the command, which is submission and obedience, let no corrupting speech, that maligning, that, that kind of speech come out of your mouth. What is the kind of speech that should come out of your mouth, such that edifies, that builds up, that gives grace to the hearer? Is there a particular leader in our government that is just so easy when you even see his or her picture or you hear words out of his or her mouth, is there any leader that comes to your mind that it is so easy for you to malign? Remind them, speak evil no one. I've heard this with different Republican, Democrat. He's not my president. Democrats said it one time. Republicans say it. Now, are, 
we are not to curse, blaspheme, malign. We're speak this is in context government leadership. Okay, that's the context. Obviously, it applies to, to people in your family, to people in, in your, your circle of friendships, but this is, this is for people in leadership. And, and so here's what, don't cuss them, pray for them. Quit cursing them. You say, well, I don't say a bad word. Well, you're maligning, you're speaking evil. Don't cuss them, pray for them. I said this kind of the same thing last week about people that are false teachers. Call them out. Yes, call them out. But do so. Speak the truth in, in love. Why? Because here's what Paul said to Timothy earlier. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. Who's a part of that none of them group? For kings and all who are in high positions. And again, you, you do not have to go along with policies. You can call out policies that are evil. And you need to, but you need to speak the truth in love. And then a last negative, and then a positive after that. Remind them to avoid quarreling. <sighs> That word means just don't be contentious. Don't be a brawler. Don't be one who always wants your own way, ready to fight. Again, where does that come from? Where does it come from? It just comes from the heart. Look at what James says. He's mimicking the words of Jesus. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, your passions at war within you? You desire and that could be anything. You desire not to fold the clothes. So you murder. Well, am I killing her? You might kill her with words. And even one that doesn't seem like it. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And, and sometimes that coveting, and, and it's not wanting something that someone has. Some, it, it may be just that you covet your own space or you covet your own comfort. You can't obtain it, so you fight and you quarrel. And, and you can't have what you want politically. I, I just, I really have to bite my tongue and pray when I watch the news. And I, I do. I watch every, every day we, we record a, a secular station. Well, they're all secular. Not just as conservative as what I would like. But I watch a, a, a non-conservative just so I can see what they're thinking. And, and my first inclination is to say, though, and Jan's heard me before say this, and I repent of it. I do, I do, and I need to. Yeah, you got it right. Starts with an I, ends with a T. And that's what I feel like. That's what I feel like. But you know what this tells me? I need to be reminded by God's word to stop, don't malign. That's a bad policy. I can say that. That is a bad policy. But to malign someone's person, rather than that, you've just seen the scripture, what should I do? Pray. Submit in the area that I can 
submit. Last thing is remind them to be gentle, reasonable, to show. Now, the word here is all courtesy toward all people. I like the way the ESV puts it, though, to show perfect courtesy or consideration toward all people. Wow. Okay, Pastor, I'll I'll meet you halfway. How about if I show some courtesy to some people? Eh, Not going to work. Okay, how about if I show some courtesy toward all people? Is that what it says? Well, wait a minute. How about if I show all courtesy to some people? What What does God want your mission to be? If you're submitting and obeying, show all courtesy toward all people. The posture today is to show all outrage over everything and anything to all people. And so when we we experience a wrong, you suffer a wrong, have you been wronged ever? You respond as Christ has done to you when you have offended because if you've been wronged, I promise you, you have wronged. And again, this is speaking about governing authorities, but it extends to all relationships. And I'll end really with these two verses. Put on then as God's chosen ones. That's what you are if you're in Christ. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must give. Either, either hopefully you've got that memorized or you wrote down the, uh, the reference and you'll look at it again because you need to and I need to. So that you won't be a disciple like the sons of thunder, which I think all of us are prone to do. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? I almost laugh because I have, I have almost prayed that prayer. I felt it. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, King James, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. What manner of spirit are you? When Paul tells us, remind them to be submissive. To rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Are you, we're going to look at this word next week, the Lord willing, regenerate? Have you been born again? Well, how do I do that? when you have an awareness that you have sinned against a holy God, that only Jesus' death on the cross can do anything about that, forgive your sins, 
impart to you the perfect righteousness of Christ? And if you do that, you become a regenerate. You're regenerated. You are born again. And then you've got the grace of God that trains you. So really, no more excuses about not submitting. No more excuses about not obeying. I can't simply is code for I won't. For those of us who know Him, pray for that greater grace that will lead you to a life full of submission and obedience, ready for every good work. So that sound doctrine becomes duty that eventually becomes a desire that becomes godliness. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is succinct. It is razor sharp to those who will come under its knife. And Lord, I pray that that's where we would be today under the scalpel of your word and let it cut and lift out those areas in our lives which are cancerous, which are diseased. And Lord, thank you that you bring spiritual healing to hearts that are willing for you to do that. I, I pray in the name of Jesus for anyone here today that does not know you personally, that today would be the day that they turn from sin and turn by faith to Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Oh God, how I pray that someone would believe that today for themselves, that they would be saved, regenerated, born again. Lord, help those of us who know you to let you do a little surgery on us so that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this confidently that you will hear and answer. In Jesus' name, amen.